Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, say hell yeah! Hell yeah! Bit more enthusiasm, please. So, here we are again. Episode number 50. <laughs> I'm going to start us off with a story about a guy called David Chenery Wickens. Mm-hmm. Exciting. Almost, that's as exciting as it gets. It's he all downhill from the name. He sounds olden days. It's actually not. It's quite recent from around 2008, 2009. The, oh, shit. This happened. If you're related to Mr. Wickens, we apologize in advance. Ooh, turn off now. And I think all his family hate him anyway, to oh, be sorry. honest. Because it's quite recent, a lot of the research has been compiled from reports uh, at the time, namely the Telegraph and the Guardian. Um, there's also a little section of Crime Watch that we talked about because it was was mentioned on there and then they did a recap where they discussed how it was actually solved, which mm-hmm. is interesting if you like those reconstructions. So when he was born, it was just plain old David Chenery. And he was born in Beckenham, Kent in the late 1950s. And he had a seemingly normal upbringing. He lived with his two siblings, his parents and his grandparents also lived at home. And he had varied interests. He was involved in the army cadets. Um, But his lifelong infatuation would always be with trains. (laughs) I've met kids like that. (sighs) I am going on holiday soon. I'm staying in a train-themed hotel. Amazing. Next to the biggest attraction, Train World. Oh my God, are you going to go? Yes, I'm going to Train World. (laughs) I'm going ironically. I'm not so sure about Tom. (laughs) So he loved trains. David Chenery did as well, almost as much as Tom. During his trial later, um, Chenery would say that when he was growing up, he found that he had a particular bond with children and animals, which I think is probably one of the most superfluous insights you can have into a childhood. If you're not bonding, but that's bonding with the, your friends. Yeah, if you're a child and you've got a bond with children. Well done. You're just being, you're not going to bond with adults, are you? They don't give a shit what you've got to say. Bonding with children is the aim of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Although I hate when people who are still children like oh yeah they're just children you're year eight yeah i mean year eight think they're the shit they really they think they're the most grown up they're like there should be no restrictions on we what we can watch we're old enough to decide for ourselves i was like you can't even go to town on your own you still need a babysitter like come on 
Um, I think the bond with animals, I think he was trying to imply that he was maybe able to connect with them a little more spiritually. But I think that's even animals have the same interests as small children. They all like sniffing bum holes, don't they? What what was your childhood like? What was your household like? I've got a lot of brothers. They they fiddle with their own bum holes when they're little. (laughs) Believe. Um, But he was also very shy as well. so slightly weirder was that when he was younger, he said he would often hear the sound of footsteps and voices whispering to him around his bed when he tried to sleep. He said mm. that he did find this frightening. Thing is, there's a fine line between childhood imagination and mental illness, isn't there? Like some things, I heard footsteps in my loft when I was a kid and I'm sure it must have just been me. And I used to hear people shouting my name. I remember one time I said to my dad, I keep hearing someone shouting, Lucy. I was like, next time I hear it, I'm going to say, yes, God, I'm listening. How cute and naive is that? Probably a murderer. I did used to, when I was little, be like, um send me a sign now or like angels, if you're real, like, I don't know. Talk to me now. Yeah. Kids do weird stuff. <laughs> they do. But they also see stuff. That's why everyone thinks kids can sense ghosts. I think kids, like, imaginary friends borders on to, like, paranoid schizophrenia. <laughs> God. I don't know. I'm going to quit my job. I watched, I watched a lot of documentaries. <laughs> so um, when he was 10 years old, his grandmother died. And his mother and sister, like many people do when there's a significant death in the family, they start to become involved in more spiritualist ideas. And they did look into the spiritualist community, probably for comfort and maybe for to hear from the grandmother once more. So when David Chenery started to develop this unexplained pain in his back his mother took him to her spiritualist healing circle and like there's lots of religions that practice faith healing and it's pretty similar in that it just involves like a laying of hands on the on the pain area so he went there and a woman just put her hands on him waited around a bit and then he said that he was extremely pleased with the results because he said the pain was taken away for a whole four days not bad but i think i could probably have the same effect with a bit of deep heat on my palms yeah and the placebo effect probably a bit darren brown did a documentary about where he tried to make called messiah didn't he where he tried to took a normal guy and tried to make him into a religious phenomenon and they went round on the streets to it practicing like this really? faith healing and just showing how how you can convince people because he was like i don't have any powers but i'm going to convince these people that i've healed them yeah he's very good at exposing the method behind a lot of um it's like supernatural using air quotes so this miracle would only strengthen the family's conviction in faith healing and spiritualism. And uh, after a few years, David was regularly attending the healing circle meetings. And as well as um, healing, when they were there, they would uh, read tarot cards and they would practice clairvoyance methods of speaking to the dead. 
And he did say that this involvement with spiritualism gave him confidence that he lacked when he was a child. And he sort of felt that he was accepted here. He was home. This was a place where he could actually be somebody important. Yeah, because they'll take anyone. <laughs> and it's a ready-made social group, isn't it? That's what. That's why people love church. Yeah. Some people. It's a social life that will have you. It's true. Despite <laughs> your weird behavior. So... He left school at 15 and he worked with his family's haulage company. But then in the 1970s, obviously the economy in England went to shit and his father's company was losing money. So Chenry and his older brother decided that they'd set up their own company doing a similar thing. He also got married to Faye Robinson, who he'd known since they were teenagers. And in 1981, they had a son, Adam, and in 1983, they had a daughter called Natalie and all just seemed very loving and idyllic. But despite this, the couple began to grow distant, almost certainly due to the fact that Faye had no interest in spiritualism whatsoever, whereas Chenery was becoming increasingly absorbed by it. And he was earning money by giving tarot readings and performing exorcisms. And he would also hold and lead meetings at various different spiritualist churches around London. Would you date a guy who was religious? Religious? It depends if we're allowed to do... (laughs) (laughs) I think I could probably get on board with a Christian just because my whole family are Christian, so... Yeah, they'd fucking love it. I'd have to accept it, but not if he wanted to pray for me all the time. Mm. Plan is, this is not really important, plan is, (laughs) Saturday night, kids go to mama's house... She can look after them. I go out on a bender. Sunday morning, she takes them to Sunday school. I come over for Sunday dinner and then pick them back up. That's amazing. That's the plan. That's perfect. I think sometimes I'd pick church or religion over those people who were really into like that juice diet. And they get like super into like pyramid scheme, selling the juice diet to everyone. But some could argue that new vegans are like that. I'd take religion over a lot of things, to be fair. Yeah. In fact, I'd take almost any other, any religion over, like, drugs. Yeah. Eventually, the couple did become divorced in 1995. But giving all these readings and performing these exorcisms would throw Chenery in the path of many single women, uh, most of whom were vulnerable and were looking to him as a spiritualist leader for support. And he was able to manipulate and use this to his advantage. So Diane Wickens was one woman in this situation. She'd come from a loving family. She'd studied at the London College of Fashion. And after graduating, she began working as a hair and makeup artist for the BBC. And she'd be extremely successful in her career. She worked on a number of shows there. She worked on League of Gentlemen. She worked on Dead Ringers. Um, she would go on to win an Emmy for her work on Arabian Nights, and I she would say, "Like League of Gentlemen, how much makeup? I guess all the loads of makeup, yeah. yeah." And Dead Ringers, of course, the makeup had to be Is like that... to make them look like other people. That's look like, doesn't it? Dead yeah. Ringers. So she had a BAFTA nomination for wow. her work on Dead Ringers too. So incredibly successful and well liked, and yeah, a kind of a big deal. Yeah, what's she doing with this guy? Exactly. She was the breadwinner. And 
she just loved him, I think. He was there for her when she really needed someone. But she didn't fancy him. She could just make him look like someone else. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just putting... He wakes just up. Just practising. <laughs> practising my Brad Pitt again. That's not a bad idea, you know. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's what I do in relationships. <laughs> So her love life had been more tumultuous. She had been involved in an abusive relationship for some time. And it was after leaving this relationship that Chenry gave her a tarot reading after being recommended by one of her friends. And then they sort of started, he would go and see her for her spiritualist needs. And then one time she was working away on the Isle of Man And she called him up and said she was being visited at night and she could hear voices and there was some spirits coming to her. So she called him up and said she needed him and he went over straight away to exercise the spirits. And he told her at the time that they were the souls of um, mentally ill patients who'd been sent to this island during the Victorian era, which she believed. So... Once they got back from this, after being having gone through this experience together, uh, they became incredibly close and they were soon dating. By 1997, the pair were married um, in a registry office and then they had a spiritualist ceremony after. And they combined their names to become the Chenery Wiccans and their first few years of marriage were also lovely. But things became strained around the time that Diane went to film in Turkey. So David has always claimed that while she was in Turkey, she had an affair with somebody else. Um, But other sources say that that's just his excuse because around this time, he started seducing other women who came to him for his services. So whoever started it, by 2000, the couple moved to East Sussex to sort of start again and try and rebuild their marriage. But Chenry did not lessen his devotion to spiritualism. He became an ordained minister in the Church of United Spiritualists. And he, even before this, he'd gone by the title of Reverend. He'd always call himself Reverend David Chenery, even though when he worked um, as a trucker, everyone knew him as slightly less impressive, Cosmic Dave. (laughs) That sounds like a DJ. So I don't think that... Or a radio presenter on like a... Cosmic Dave. I'm here to give you your psychic news for the week. I don't think his charm worked as well on the men as it did on the women. (laughs) Cosmic takes. But um, his ordination in 2002, this gave him legitimacy that he wanted. And in 2003, he quit trucking and hauling altogether and began working as a spiritualist minister full time. I mean, it's got to be more fun, hasn't it? I'm sure. Driving around for nothing. So he would go around, he would wear a dog collar. And he would lead a teaching group at the newly established church in Crowborough in Sussex. And this group was made up of almost exclusively women. And they would place a great deal of trust in him. They'd tell him about their lives, about their relationships, usually their problems, because that's why they were often there. And they also handed him their private parts. (laughs) It's thought that Over 10 years of his marriage to Diane, Chenry had at least 10 different affairs. Was he good looking? No, not really. 
Well, I guess... Very basic face. He's an older man. We're talking like in their 50s now. And he was having affairs with other women in their mm. 50s. I think he was just... They were just all happy to be together. Yeah, I guess it's really easy if someone's telling you their problems to maximise those problems and say, you know, as someone who's giving you advice, you're not going to be able to repair this relationship with your husband and then sort of be the comfort. Yeah, and these sort of meetings, they would be incredibly emotional, wouldn't they? Like when people have a message from someone or they receive comfort or he tells them I know this about you yeah yeah you feel that very deeply and they're all incredibly even if they're not their situations might not be as vulnerable as you are vulnerable when you're in there because yeah. you're exposing your whole so he's saying stuff like the ghost so. really wants you to unzip my trousers I don't think <laughs> I don't think he did it that way but he, like his friends well he didn't really have many friends but his former best man at his wedding to Diane said that he could charm the birds from the trees that he was a great talker and that women did love him but that he would specifically target the most vulnerable women in order to extort them for sex and for money mm. So there was quite a few. I'll give you the rundown of a few different women now. So there was one who's known only as the opera singer. So he told her that he was suffering from diabetes, malaria, (laughs) prostate cancer, and just sprinkle that icing sugar on. I've got a fucking bad headache as well. (laughs) So he said to her that, um, oh, as well as giving spiritualist help to humans he did also do horse whispering oh my god (laughs) just horses i think and he told her that he'd been kicked um by a horse that he was healing and he needed this expensive treatment for it i mean obviously we've got the nhs here but he was basically saying look i've got all these problems and i'm on waiting lists whereas if i can pay privately i'll be able to get a speedy treatment and she just gave him in total, she gave him over £20,000 to go towards various medical bills that he said he had. Well, I mean, was she a very rich woman? She was a professional opera singer. I think she was doing yeah. all right. See, there's just so much... I always think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if the rich people... Like, do you know if you're like, like, oh, I really want this, but I can't afford it. What if, what if a rich person just swooped in and was like, here you go, it's nothing to me. But I guess that's what he's doing, but he doesn't deserve it just pretending he's got all the illnesses as well if you're a spiritualist healer and then you're coming in being like i've got all of these medical problems i'm like you're not heal yourself if you've got more money than you know what to do with sign up for patreon (laughs) at patreon.com forward slash slaughter the podcast yeah and heal my headaches (laughs) my money headaches they were having a sexual relationship as well ended because there was this incident where he'd stolen £1,500 by forging a cheque from her chequebook. And she found that. Kick a gift horse in the mouth, March. Right. And exactly, she's given you 20000 Why would you steal 1000 But eventually he said, he said he didn't do it. And then was like, oh, I found the money in one of my old accounts. And I just don't know how it got there. (laughs) He offered no explanation. Because banks are always fucking up like that. Oh, it just happened. A spirit must have done it. He probably used that one as well, you know. So that was the opera singer. There was also a woman called Susan Roberts um, that he met around 2001 when they were both in a clairvoyant class together. And he told her that his wife was in a mental institution following a breakdown and that he was going to divorce her. 
and all this. So they had quite an intense sexual affair. Susan did one time ring his house and Diane answered it. And she was like, she hung up immediately. She doesn't sound mental to me. Well, she thought she should be in an institution. So Diane called the number back and Susan had basically explained to her, look, I'm seeing your husband. You're supposed to be in a mental... He told me you were gone. And Diane just said, you're jealous and hung up. Oh, shit. So she wasn't interested really in hearing it at all. She knew that he was around a lot of women and she just saw it as these women are trying to get him from me, but they can't. There's another woman known only as the osteopath. So she treated him for back problems also in around 2001. And then after they initially met, they would then begin meeting for sex every couple of months but and like sexting in between. But it went for over many it's years. It's not going to do that much good though, is it? Depends what position, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe there's some tantric moves that are really helpful. <laughs> But so in 2005, so it'd been going on for years, she said she wanted a commitment from him. And like, you need to leave your wife. He he told her, yeah, I'm in the process of divorcing her. She's an alcoholic. She's whatever. Easy to say, isn't it? So 2005, she's like, right, you need to leave her and be with me. So he pulled the, I'm leaving the country. (laughs) I really would, but... I'm going to Yemen. Yemen road, Yemen. (laughs) And... The night he reported his wife missing later, he would leave voicemails on the osteopath's phone to say that he was outside her house wanking. Oh, God. Like, he's extremely horny. I think he was asking her to let him in. He was like, can I please come in because I'm on the way. It's like, I need somewhere to stick it before it all goes wrong. Through the post box all day. That's not, maybe you could just cushion your post box. (laughs) Like a, uh, what are those, a fleshlight? Yeah. Flesh box. <laughs> Copyright me. I bet that's why they snap down really quick. People, <laughs> like, people would be poking dicks through, wouldn't they? You'd piss through a letterbox like that. It's the ultimate glory hole. Yes. That could be it. Right. you don't even know who lives there. Okay, app idea. You go on. <laughs> You go on the app, yeah. you find, oh, here's penises near you. Yeah. And then you go, do you want to meet up? Here's my address. You, lo- you can't come in. You can't Door come stays in. locked. Yeah. Door's always locked. They just, there's a special knock. Yeah. The dick knock. In comes the dick. <laughs> do whatever you want with it. And then who pays who? Who? I mean, you've given them a blowjob, but you've asked for the dick to come to your house. Travel costs versus, I don't know who Maybe gets they- paid. Maybe it's free. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's a winner. And I just get the money from advertising. Yeah. Done. So if anyone can build an app, dick box. So. It's got to be a play on like parcel or something. Package. Special delivery. Yeah. Deliver a dick. <laughs> Deliver a dick. We'll brainstorm later. So um, there's another lady called Sally Lyon. And she was the wife of the landlord at the local pub where David and Diane would often go. So they were almost sort of friends, Diane and David, and then this couple, the Lyons. And in 2003, Chenery said to Sally Lyon that he'd fallen in love with her. She was a bit taken aback, but then they did begin sleeping together regularly in 2004. Her husband found out 
that they'd been sleeping together. And he arranged this meeting for them all to get together where he confronted them and said, look, our partners are sleeping together. What are we doing about it? But Diane just literally refused to believe it. No. She said it's not happening. Like, I don't accept it. And he was like, look, my wife's told me. She admitted it. She's like, no, it's not happening. I'd believe, uh, I'd believe someone. I don't know. I really trust Luke, though. If more than one person, I'd definitely believe him. Mm. So there were various others for shorter periods of time. And he would have this pattern where he would have intense infatuation, where he'd just be saying he loved them. He would always love them. There was no one else. And then there'd be as just as quick, there'd be this cooling off period where he'd just start giving excuses after excuse, like my prostate cancer or my family real, or I've been kicked by a horse. The horses were kicking him a lot, to be honest. With people people like that, I don't get, just be single because you're busy enough. Break up with your wife. She was, I think, although he was making... Yeah. Right. I think she was the money. Although he was making his living as being the spiritualist minister, I don't think it was giving him the amount he needed. So then there was one girlfriend in particular who would be his most serious mistress, and that was Kerry Lippett. And they'd met after they were at... a a circle and he'd received a message from her dead mother and they connected and then they would spend several nights a week together over years he because he loved trains so much he volunteered at a local attraction called the lavender line railway i think it's like one of these old-timey steam train railways and she also then started volunteering there working in the catering section so they could be together almost all the time and they would stay together from 2004 right up until his trial so she was his main squeeze despite diane's refusal to believe that her husband was being um a bit of a knob when told about them by other people in 2008 she gathered the evidence herself to be ready to confront him over his behavior now a lot of what comes now is speculation because david has always maintained his innocence and diane has nothing to say on the matter but it's thought that the straw that broke the camel's back was an itemized phone bill that was found in their house and it showed a couple of numbers which had been called repeatedly. What is thought that Diane called them back and one of them was the voicemail of another woman, probably Kerry, and the other one went to a gay chat line. Ooh, the plot thickens. So, in the 24th of January, 2008, David Chenery went to a central London police station to make a missing persons report on his wife, who'd not been seen for two days. He said that on the 22nd of January, they'd travelled to London together and they'd caught the train together that morning from East Grinstead Station in Sussex. And then once in London, she was heading off to a meeting at the BBC. He was going off to do his thing and they planned to meet up later in the evening but Diane had not shown up. So police looked at the phone records for Diane and they implied that she had been on that morning train to London because of tower pinging and stuff. Mm. However, when they checked the station CCTV, there was no sign of her, 
but her husband, David Chenery, was lurking around on his own in the station. It's really creepy when you watch the footage because he doesn't just go straight to the train. He's just like standing around, standing here, definitely looking like he's up to no good. So this discovery was the catalyst for changing the missing persons inquiry into a murder investigation. Chenery, of course, was the prime suspect and police soon began to unravel all these details of his double life as a loving husband to Diane while also being this sexual predator and conman to everyone else. So, following her disappearance or supposed disappearance on the 22nd of January, police found that text messages had been sent from her phone to her friends um, but she signed them off as Di. And then this was flagged as being odd because everyone said she would always, always, always sign off as Diane. And police obviously thought the murderer had been impersonating her to try and make someone believe that she was still alive. But they needed really some kind of forensic evidence to make this case against David Chenery strong enough to convict. Because they've got no body, have they? Nobody, nothing. All they know is that he's reported a missing and... And she is missing, but he it's probably him. Yeah, only because he was said he was with her and he wasn't. But there's no yeah. other... They can't really say that he's done anything to her. So the couple's home went under a thorough police search and they were able to uncover a trinket box that had a secret compartment. And then inside that secret compartment, there were a couple of rings that had belonged to Diane and which were splattered with blood. So then the forensic examination confirmed that this blood did belong to Diane. The day before Chenery reported his wife missing, so the 23rd, he'd been caught on CCTV again. This time he was seen in Tunbridge Wells and he was filmed in a jeweler's shop where he'd been selling off some of his wife's possessions. This guy's an idiot. But without a body, all of this evidence could still just be written off as circumstantial. Oh, yeah, but... I mean, wait till everything's finished (laughs) wait till you're like not under the radar yeah i don't know why it's dumb so it was four months after this when her body was eventually discovered in some woods around eight miles from her home she'd been found by a dog walker there we go um, who'd noticed a really strong smell. And this was because her body had literally been dumped. There was no efforts made to bury her whatsoever. She was just plopped on the ground. And her body was so badly decomposed and eaten by animals that it's impossible to actually pinpoint the cause of death. I guess this is where um, Jay, those like body farms come in handy in terms of being able to work out how long they've been decomposing for and how long they've been there for. I mean, with this one, it's good that they know how long it's been there for exactly because of when she went missing. She went missing. But it's still, the speculation over her cause of death, I think it's likely she was either stabbed or strangled simply. But it's, but. You can't tell, yeah. So next to her body were a pair of her favourite cowboy boots. And it's thought... That Chenery, having murdered Diane at their house while she was barefoot, just in her own home. And this is likely because everyone in a family, they say how she was really house proud, really particular. She would always wear like house shoes, like slippers. So she would have been wearing that at home. He then took her to the woods and dumped her. But to make it look as though she'd gone there underneath her own steam and killed herself, he'd had to take her outdoor shoes and put them with her body. 
But the mistake here was that he'd not looked inside the boots because inside she had some shoe trees, like little things you slip in to keep their shape. So she couldn't possibly have been wearing them to get there. I mean, it still points to Chenery regardless because it could just be that he didn't want the ugly cowboy boots in the house. Yeah, you really hate these shoes. Still, whatever happens, it points to him because with the shoe trees inside the boots, that says that whoever brought them had to have had access to the house. And with yeah. no sign of breaking and no breaking reported, that person's David Chenery. Yeah. He also, side note, Kerry Lippett later when interviewed his mistress, she mentioned that around this the time that she'd gone missing, 22nd, 23rd, she'd had a phone call from David Chenery who had rung her to ask how to get bloodstains out of a carpet. Oh my God. And he said he'd had a nosebleed. Um, but the technique must have worked. She said, Google rub, it. She said rub salt into it. Oh, if you Google it, it's on your computer. Go to your library Cold water, it. I heard. Really? That's when I got blood in that Airbnb on the first night. I was like, no. <laughs> Within hours of the body being found, Chenery was arrested and charged with the murder. He remained calm throughout the process, but police were still easily able to catch him out in his lies about taking this train to London. It's thought that he just took her phone with him and he was just texting people on the train. And the fact that he'd been with Diane the morning that she disappeared. So the following January 2009, he went to trial. His main defense was to try and discredit Diane, make her look unstable, saying that she was an alcoholic, she was running away and leaving him, anything he could to try and make her sound horrible, really, and the engineer of her own disappearance. But they were able to trip him over in his lies, and they had a lot of character witnesses to sort of say that that's not Diane. You're this horrible... They had all these women that he'd slept with and cheated and taken money from so it was really easy for a jury to see through to his real character and he was unanimously found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison but he never admitted it never admitted it well I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Okay, so I wanted to do a female murderer this time and they were all poisoners, but I did find one. She's technically American, but she lived in the UK. Okay, I, I can get on board with that. Yeah, it's fine. So, Teresa Butimore and Pasquale Riggi lived in California and... Normal relationship, normal marriage. Uh, married in 1989. Teresa had grown up in California and the couple met there and got together there. Then in 1990, they moved to Colorado um, due to Pasquale's job as an engineer. And then they moved again for his work to the UK, to Lowestoft, which is like a nice little town. It's like the most eastern point of oh, England. Really? Yeah, it's cute. And they lived there for eight years. They had a very luxury lifestyle. Engineers get paid shed loads because they're very in demand. You know, if you're listening to us and you're a teenager and you're good at maths, go into engineering. You'll be able to live anywhere and earn a boatload. I love the careers (laughs) advice that you just dish. I always say it to students: come for the murder, (laughs) stay for the careers options. (laughs) Um. So she didn't work, but she wanted to be a professional singer, but she'd had an accident that had ended that. I don't know if that accident was, she just wasn't that good. Kicked in the throat by a horse she was singing to. (laughs) Things weren't really that happy at home the whole time, but the couple decided to stay together and they tried IVF because nothing fixes a relationship like a baby. Yeah, like something that's crying and demanding and, c- and apparently can see spirits. <laughs> yeah. I swear. Well, they can't really. They're just all mental. Okay, so in 2001, she gave birth to twins, which is pretty common with IVF. Um, she called them Augustino and Gianluca, also known as Austin and Luke. What's the point? Just call them Austin and Luke. If you're going to give them fabulous names, call them fabulous names. Gianluca, <laughs> yes. Um, so she let the babies sleep in the room with her. She basically Ew. pushed her husband away and was like, I've got my babies. Babies everywhere. And just wasn't that interested in him anymore. Um, 2004, through IVF again, she also had Cecilia. But the family relationship was really rocky by this point. They were really struggling. She was obsessed with these children. The whole family moved to the Netherlands. But then due to antenatal care being not up to the standard that they expected, they moved the whole family back to the UK. So they're a family in crisis. The relationship continued to be rocky they tried IVF again for a fourth child 
know. Why does this husband keep agreeing to it? Like, you're getting cock-blocked by the first set of twins. <laughs> Why do you have some more children? Uh, you don't even get to have sex with IVF. So it's not even like, oh, let's try for a baby because at least I'm going to get laid. Yeah. So I, th- I think probably he was being pressured into it, but to an extent at that point. Just um, claim you're like impotent. But she was saying, oh, it's not working because you're stressing me out. And it, it was just... You're stressing me out. Well, they split up in 2006. So she kept the three children. He stayed where they were in Aberdeen and she moved with the kids back to the Netherlands again. Again, it didn't work out. So she moved back to Aberdeen to be near Pasquale so he could still see the children. There's something about the Netherlands. Like there's something that's in her frame of reference that keeps making (laughs) her think, I want to be in the Netherlands. Does she have Pinterest? Yeah, like, these canals. <laughs> They're just... so beautiful. She gets her, she's like... You have to empty your chemical toilet if you live on a house. Fucking cold. Fuck <laughs> yeah. So, she was so possessive of her children. Uh, she didn't want to leave them ever. She wouldn't let them go to school, so she homeschooled them. And she was really funny about the four hours a week that Pasquale had visitation with them in terms of him wanting to be alone with them or wanting to go off with them. So she was really... I mean, I'd be like, yeah, take him. I'll have a bath Four for him. Four hours a week. Um, they're only about, you know, like five and three at this time. Um, so they're really young. She put locators on the children. And basically, if she pressed a button, the locator would beep. So she's The got- children would sprout wings and fly back to her. <laughs> um like, He'll like, do that with drones one day, I assume. So a little location, like that's like Top what, um, like you have when you've lost your keys. Yeah. So basically, if she, it's a bit like that episode of Black Mirror, where oh. she's got the little tablet and she can see where they are, apart from not as advanced, they didn't have a camera on it and things. But she could say, you know, Austin Nego or whatever his name was, um, Austin. And then if he didn't respond immediately, she could beep and be like, well, there you are. I mean, hide and seek was fucking boring game with her around but yeah so she totally would have them on lockdown these kids they had no privacy they had no independence healthy yeah well the husband filed for divorce because he just wanted the relationship to be so this like four hours visiting is just that's what she's that's That's what the court ordered yeah it's called so maybe he is up to no good there might be something we don't know why would they only give someone four hours I think four hours for a couple living apart is reasonable. Four hours a week? I don't know. You don't even if get they've to see agreed... them for a day. Well, yeah, I guess. I think if they've agreed that the children are going to live with one person, I don't know, maybe not. Yeah. Well, I get, well it, it, this had been sort of like the provisional thing before the whole it went to court, but as part of the divorce he filed for full custody because oh he so wanted... he did want them oh yeah yeah he asked for that he wanted them in his care full time and he wanted to prove that she was not a capable mother and the children needed to live with him um so the children's gran was also worried about her son's children so this is mother-in-law to reggae um and she would fly to the UK twice a year to check on them. I don't know if that's the newspapers. I mean, a lot of this is from articles. And I don't know if it's the newspapers saying, oh, she was checking on them. She was probably just flying over anyway to visit the yeah, family. Like, how but often she... do you want to see your grandkids? Yeah. But she did say that Riggy was really stifling the children and she had concerns. And that she wouldn't even let them go trick-or-treating at Halloween. 
And yeah, the, but we don't really do that in England, so chill out. I wasn't allowed to go trick-or-treating. I wasn't either, because if you it's invite the begging. devil, he will come. Oh, my parents just couldn't be asked. And also because of begging and knocking on strange people's doors. It's weird. It's not safe! Don't just knock on a stranger's door. That's not in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Although I would love to go to America for Halloween, just to see. They have, like, full of shops mm. where you can, like... I don't really want to encourage children to knock on doors. No, that's true. But sometimes they go in gardens. Anyway, she also said that um, Riggy wouldn't let the children play with other children. So they were very much isolated and they didn't really see anyone. Riggy's actual mother, her own mother, talked her into seeing a psychiatrist who gave her some medication and diagnosed bipolar depression. So in, we haven't done this for a while, but in true psychology form, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about bipolar. So it used to be known as manic depression and they've tried to steer away from that a little bit because... The word manic, I guess, is a bit sounds more... Sounds super fun. <laughs> yeah. But it also sounds like the word mental, where you're just sort of... I have... Although I have said that today. But it's sort of just like... Just negative connotations. Yeah. But it's categorised by periods of really low mood and feeling demotivated and depressed. And then periods of really high energy, over overactive... Um, can have delusions, can have hallucinations. There's quite a crossover with schizophrenia, um, which I think lots of people don't really know. So you can hear, you can have auditory hallucinations where you hear voices, or you can have visual hallucinations where you can see things. But generally, it's associated with just sort of high activity. And episodes of mania can last for several weeks. People can feel very creative, very motivated, very ambitious. They could start a project and just work on it and not really sleep until they, you know, they just decided this is what I'm going to do. So they might be like, right, I'm going to paint my kitchen and just do that for, you know, 20 hours a day. And when I was not at eat. uni, one of my housemates, um, me and her, like, went out drinking, like, every night for two weeks or something. And then she locked herself in a room with a headache for another two weeks. Yeah. And later... Like, she messaged me, been like, oh, FYI, I've been diagnosed with bipolar. And yeah. I was like, fuck, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't know because I was a stupid teenager. But also, what was my excuse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll go out. I'll have a You're manic just... episode with you. <laughs> You're a pushover. Yeah, but also, yeah, so they might behave differently, like decide to go out dancing at midnight and just, just you know, decide that's a good idea. So that, yeah, that's quite sort of typical bipolar. Or they might spend a lot of money on things that they wouldn't normally buy. Um, it can be treated with medication or therapy or getting more exercise and diet and better sleep. I guess when you're in that state, it's the last thing you want to do. So it's a bit of a vicious circle in that way. You know that getting up will help, but you don't feel like you can get up because you're depressed. Like, yeah. how do you break that? So Riggy was um, due to bring the children to visit their father on a visitation on July the 12th, 2010, uh, but she failed to arrive. She just didn't turn up. And Pasquale went to the house in Aberdeen to see his children in response to that. Obviously, the court date was coming up and he was thinking, great, well, this is, you know, if she's not turning up with the kids, this is evidence against her as to why I should have the kids. Um, but no one was there, so he reported his children missing. I mean, I guess she's gonna can. kill the kids, isn't she? She's fucked up. Oh no, she's gonna do a fucking Shutter Island. <laughs> so, good film, though. Uh, oh. <laughs> so, she's traced to a flat that the couple own in Edinburgh. The court 
turned up and issued a warrant to take the children's passports because they were worried that she was going to flee with the children mm. and just be like, well, you can't catch The me Netherlands. Now. Well, that's where she's going. <laughs> yeah. So, and she'll be back soon. <laughs> she yeah. fucking hates it. So the court date was set for the 3rd of August and Pasquale was probably confident at this point that actually he might win this because of her inconsistency. She just moved with the kids. She's homeschooling them, which you could argue probably isn't, it's not very often done in the UK and no. not socialising them, although, you know, each to their own, as long as they're getting a good education. Well, I don't know how a parent could teach them secondary stuff or even primary stuff. I wouldn't know enough of anything. I just wouldn't have the patience with my own kids. No, you'd, you'd do like an hour a day, wouldn't you? Like at school, I could, like, whatever, fine, fine, deal with it all. But when I used to have to help my little brother with his homework, I would want to stab him in the face <laughs> yeah. within 10 minutes. And I wouldn't, like, if my mum, my mum was an English teacher, if she tried to help me with English, nope. That's not what the teacher said. I just wouldn't have it. It doesn't transfer to relatives. No. So on the 2nd of August at 11.30pm, Riggy phoned Pasquale and she said to him, are you going to try and take the children off me? And the court date was the next day. And he said, you've not really given me any choice. I'm too concerned about them. And she said, we'll say goodbye to them then. And hung no. up the phone. It gets, yeah, it's pretty fucked up. So she then- Oh, and you said she's not a poisoner as well. Yeah, she's worse. Yeah, but she What do you think she was? A florist? No, but I just mean like, if she's not, if she's going to kill her children right. and she's not going to poison them, that means she's going to have to do something really horrid, like slash them up. Yeah, she's, yeah, it's pretty bad. So she put on church music. Brilliant. To absolve her of these horrific oh, crimes. And then stabbed each of the children eight times. Oh God. And, you know, they're, they're young, but they're not that young. They would have known what was going on. Squirming. They were, they were, it wasn't in their beds asleep. They'd have been running around that flat. The last one would have watched their, um, and they know that the children were awake because they had um, cuts on their hands. They'd obviously tried to be oh, defensive. Fucking um, hell. She used three different knives, so a knife for each of them. Um, and then she laid out their bodies in the bedroom covered in blood. And there, apparently there was blood all over this flat it was everywhere she then tried to slash her own throat and stab herself but just wasn't successful i don't know how easy that is to do even with you know intention. i can't even squeeze out a splinter myself no. mine slashed my own throat this is one of the most horrific ones i think i've heard of yeah it's pretty horrific um she then tried to start a gas explosion believing the gas running and then lighting a match that doesn't work. There are so many different ways to kill a child. Give them tiny pieces of Lego. Let them put a plastic bag over their head. Like, there was all sorts of dangers that my parents were like, you will kill yourself if. I desperately wanted to put a plastic bag on my head. I don't know why. <laughs> I would um, suck on pennies. Suck on a penny. Brilliant. Like, cook your own dinner. It's easy. Well, so she tries to create a glass a gas explosion i think she probably doesn't leave it long enough and basically just lights the hob and that doesn't work so she runs out to the balcony shouts i can't believe this is happening to me crowded street people are there this is you know it's late but it's busy it's edinburgh and she jumps head first from the second floor oh my god onto and she lands on a car and is taken to hospital doesn't die she's still alive 
she wakes up in hospital and she says, I shouldn't be here. Um, and basically she wanted to die with the children, but it was very much out of revenge for this man trying to take her children away and her obsession with them rather than if I can't have them, nobody can. Yeah. Rather than sort of romanticized, we're going to be together. I mean, maybe in her head, but surely it's better for them to be with a parent who loves them regardless and alive. Yeah, because part of me wants to be a little more um, compassionate to people with mental illness. Like, obviously, she felt helpless. She felt desperate. She felt there was no options, clearly. That's what she felt. But you can't forgive what they've done. Like, it's it's not better for those children to be dead. It's better for them to be with their dad and maybe see you four hours a week. Yeah. Absolutely. So in hospital, she's diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, paranoia, and histrionic um, personality disorder, which is one I haven't heard of. So I had a look into that. So histrionic personality disorder is an individual who has a constant need to be the center of attention and surrounded by drama. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) And their sense of self-esteem basically comes from the approval of others can lead to successful lives, although usually with difficult or struggling relationships. Which you don't have. I had a Mardi this morning (laughs) because last night I didn't feel like I had enough attention. And he was like, like, let's just recap what happened last night. I had to go to bed and lie down because I've got a bad back at the minute. And he said... After 10 minutes, I brought you a cup of tea. After another 10 minutes, I brought you some chocolate. After another 10 minutes, I came upstairs. What more did you want? And I was like, oops. (laughs) Sorry. So histrionic personality disorder, which can be treated with therapy. (laughs) Or not being a selfish cunt. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's more what it needs to be. It's the school holidays. It's all about me. Fucking hell. I don't think I got enough attention last night and I've been thinking about it in my dreams. It's pretty much what happened. (laughs) That's ridiculous. ridiculous. Did you apologise? Yeah, I did apologise a lot. Okay, good. Okay, so Scottish authorities, although she is a mess, deem her fit to go to trial. And she pleads guilty to three counts of murder. And she only got 16 years for the murder. For three murders? Three children. And she was sentenced in 2011. A lot of people said that is far too short. I don't know what the... I guess there was compassion because of her mental illness. illness. But, But also, she's gonna have a fucked up time in prison. She That's murdered true. three children. She's in there with mothers who would like to see their children. They are not going to be happy. So she wrote letters. Oh, obviously the husband completely devastated by all of yes. this. His life, you know, is he was thinking like tomorrow I'm getting the kids back. Yeah, I'm going to get them safe. It's all going to go to tr- to court. I'm going to get a chance. She takes the opportunity away from him. She takes his children away from him. He's absolutely devastated. So she sends letters while she's in prison and these get leaked to the press. Um, And they reported that she had written about being a perfect mother, um, blaming others for her actions. They basically, because of him, I had to do this, as well as talking about being an excellent cook 
and singer. And she said that prison staff or... Just love, just slip in the fact that you're an excellent cook as well. Yeah. Like, while we're on the subject, have you had my lasagna? <laughs> Well, a lot of the letters were about how she used to love to entertain and how brilliant she was at entertaining. Um, But also she claimed that uh, staff, I think she was on a lot of mental health wards rather than sort of your typical prison. And a lot of the staff would fight for the right to hear her singing in her room, which probably was bullshit, unless it was hilarious. Depends what she's singing. I look like fight for the right, as if all the nurses can't just come in anyway. Yeah, like, like, please let me go on that corridor. So she spent her time before trial in a psychiatric unit as well. So, and in the letter, she talked about the time that she was there as well. And she said that she had a marriage proposal from a French patient. And she said, it's one flew over the cuckoo's nest and I'm Jack Nicholson. Like number one, that's the name of the actor, not the character. Number two, he didn't kill three children in that film. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was just... I don't, yeah. And who does Jack Nicholson get proposed to? No, by? I think she was just saying, like, I'm the, I'm the same <laughs> Oh, one. I thought it was, like, her love story. I was like, I don't remember him but having a get, romance. He, no, he does get a romance. There's that girl who comes in and sneaks him out. I mean, he out. gets on side with a Native American guy, but... No, those girls sneak him out for the night, don't they? And he gets oh, yeah, sold. that's true. Yeah. It's a good film. But yeah, so she, I think she kind of was still in this idea of that I'm the only sane one here. and That's sort of the thing though, isn't it? That's like the narcissism in that feeling like everything's a movie and you're the lead character. Yeah, basically. Um, she was repeatedly attacked in prison by other women and she was kicked down the stairs by one woman. Um, and she talked in the letters about how oh, well, I'm really strong and I can take it. And I guess part of her kind of loves the drama. Uh, she just sees it as like showgirls where someone's throwing the beads on the floor to trip her up. She's like, okay. I'm so good that they just want to take me out of the competition. Yeah. So in March 2014, she was in Rampton Secure Hospital, which is in Retford in Nottinghamshire. Um, and that day she spoke to relatives on the phone and later that evening she was found dead in her cell. Now, at first they did think that she'd committed suicide because of the suicide attempts that she made straight after killing her children, that maybe she, you know, she'd gone back to that idea and and that was part of her plan. But the coroner's report determined that she had died of a chest infection. Um, and she did, moan, oh, she did say in the letters it was That sounds cold. like a cover-up death. Chest infection. Uh, I mean, she wouldn't she, have been that old. No, but she was. She did have an eating disorder, and I think probably she was a lot weaker. And it, uh, I guess she's been injured a lot from all of the shit kicking. Yeah, and apparently her lungs were twice as heavy as they should have been um, oh. after the inquest. So I think she genuinely did die of a chest infection. I think she. I think she was very, very thin, and she did say my my cell's very cold and damp in these letters and. Right. I guess the conditions aren't great. Um, so I told you I was ill. Yeah. But the other prisoners said that they had a party to celebrate her death. They fucking hated her. Which is grim. But it's all dark, isn't it? It's all pretty dark. Right, thank you for listening. Um, I'm going to do a bit of a bag now. Okay. <laughs> Can you... The only kind of trick-or-treating <laughs> you're allowed to do. Yeah. So if you would like to support the podcast, just bear in mind, we are not stand-up comedians. Because uh, we... it's not fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> but also, we do this anonymously. We can't ask our friends for help promoting. So any promotion that you can do to help us 
you know, tell your friends, write to magazines, put it on Twitter, anything that you can do is great because we are doing this off our own back. We really appreciate any support and help you give. You can also go to www.patreon.com forward slash slaughter the podcast and you can sign up there. On there you will get stickers, you can get to vote for the slash and dash episodes, you can also um, hear extra little bits that we've recorded every now and then. You can hear my mother's episodes called Mother Daughter Slaughter, there's a few on there. Um, Luke's been saying that he's going to do an episode for a year. Yeah, but it seems like it's growing speed. He's going to do it. He says it slightly more often now, so eventually he will do one. And we have told him that if he gets 20 likes, we'll put it on the main one. But if it's it's shit, don't like it. (laughs) It's not going to happen. Certain tiers can still get um, other merch, can't they? There's um, tote bags as well and t-shirts. You can also buy merch um, from Threadless or from Spreadshirt. Uh, I would recommend if you're outside the UK, probably use Threadless. If you're inside the UK, you spread shit. Um, that's t-shirts, mugs, mouse mats probably. He's got a mouse mat anymore, no one. If you want a mouse mat. So yeah, so please continue to support us and tell people and buy stuff. <laughs> Would be great. Also, can I just say thanks to the person who did the amazing fan out for us yeah, on our that. Instagram. Yeah, thank like, you. I was like, fan art! Yeah, I love a bit of fan art. So keep up the good work, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, and remember, listening to Slaughter doesn't make you a psycho. Trying to heal horses with your voice probably does. Yeah. True story. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.